Well, well, look who's back in the big chair. Yep, you guessed it. It's Members Only Dave, and this is Massacre Radio, episode number six to be exact. Yeah, that's right. Contrary to popular belief, I can, in fact, count. Hey, still no word from Chet Hanks or his camp on when he'll be on the show, but that's neither here nor there, as today we have a smorgasbord, a buffet of great guests, if you will, and it is time to dig in, so grab a plate. Because later on in the show, I'll be speaking with producer-director Doug Sackman. That's Sackman with two N's, and you're not going to want to miss that. But right now, it's all about my man Shagrat from the band Acid Witch, also known by his first name, Tim. But uh, yeah, it was great. We talked about Gary Coleman and different strokes and that one weird episode with the bicycle shop owner. I think you know which one I'm talking about. Let's check it out. It's Massacre Radio. Kids, food's almost done. Hey, I hope you like your ribs medium rare there, Bob. Yeah, whatever. Uh. Massacre Radio. Just a juicy rib for a juicy show. Joining me now on the Massacre Radio hotline is Tim, better known as Shagrat from the band Acid Witch. Tim, how are we doing today? Thanks so much for your time. Hey, pretty good. How you doing, David? Hey, in the immortal words of one Joe Walsh, I can't complain, but sometimes I still do. Now, for those who are unfamiliar, Acid Witch is a doom metal, stoner, psychedelic metal band. Now, in your own words, what exactly is the sound of stoner metal? Talk about some of the hallmarks and ingredients that go into being the doomiest of them all. Well, it's interesting that you ask because we kind of get lumped into that because I think we smoke a lot of weed. But I wouldn't really say we're really fans of the stoner rock genre. We're kind of just like, I don't know, a weird kind of doom, death metal, punk influence band, new wave of British heavy metal. A lot of the more like stoner doom bands we like are bands like Witchfinder General, St. Vitus or Trouble, uh, Pagan Altar, kind of older bands that sound more like Black Sabbath, you know, but try to live up to that, I guess. But yeah, that's, I guess my take on it. Let's talk about your live shows. What are some of the things you either do personally or with your fellow bandmates to get your mind right in order to perform? When I hear words like stoner metal, I guess my mind goes to the entire band ripping a 10-foot bong backstage, but what works for you? It might not be 10-foot, but there definitely probably is some bong ripping going on. Personally, I like to, you know, slam a couple like Jack and Cokes, a couple beers before we play just to kind of loosen up. I find my... My stage banner usually to be a little better that way. But lately, uh, we've been doing more theatrical stuff. We actually just did a South, uh, West, and West Coast up to the uh, Pacific Northwest tour with Venom Inc. and Exhumed and Enforced. And we had a uh, roadie slash all-around merch guy, crew member Sean, would come out as a witch as we played. And he had this like glowing pumpkin and he'd pass out worms. And like gummy worms, and you don't know which one you're going to get. You're going to get a real worm, or you're going to get a gummy worm, kind of the trick-or-treat thing. And come kind of back on and do this like baby sacrifice thing, where uh, we have this like kind of really realistic, like real doll kind of baby. And he's like pulling gummy worms out, and he'd have battles with uh, Dr. Filthy, who's Exhumed's like chainsaw-wielding gore doctor. Mm-hmm. If you've ever seen Exhumed at the lab on stage, so... 
that tour was great. I feel like we kind of upped that level a little bit more, you know, with some theatrics and stuff, had a new stage banner and kind of like a cool castle set going on that we we're doing. So, yeah. You just mentioned how you finished touring with Venom Inc. Talk a little bit about the highlights of that trip and some of these shenanigans and hijinks you got into along the way. Yeah, well, it was a great tour. I'm not going to lie. Um, for that many people on the road, probably like 35 or 40 people, everybody got along really good. I you know, couldn't say enough nice things about the Venom dudes for putting us on. Mantis and Tony, the demolition man, Dolan, were all really fucking great. Would always like entertain us with heavy metal history stories and stuff from the new wave of British heavy metal days. But yeah, it was a pretty tight tour, but there was, uh, I don't know, it was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, just kind of hanging out with those dudes every night, drinking some Jack and pretty good tour, I would say. Acid Witch has been going strong since 2007. What are some things that keep driving you in the band to keep recording and performing music? Well, the band kind of came out of just like a little side project. Dave and I, Slasher Dave, met when we were teenagers working at haunted houses together, actually. So I think kind of our love for that and our love for metal, Halloween and drugs and just always kind of got along and had this weird vision for Acid Witch. Both kind of knew what we wanted to do right away by being more of a like storyteller band and kind of having a mascot and, you know, going back to kind of that 80s thing where bands were maybe a little bit more focused on that, a little bit more conceptual. With that said, I think that keeps us like going. I find a lot of influence in it, like in the spirit that is Acid Witch and Halloween and horror movies drugs and serial killers and aliens and weird metaphysical stuff so i think it kind of encompasses a lot of different things where it doesn't you know get too too stale we can kind of pull from a lot of mystical elements with this band tim is my guest better known as shag rat from the band acid witch uh satanism has always fascinated me and i know some of the lyrics in acid witch among other things revolve around it so i wanted to ask you what is it about satanism that turns you on the most hmm, interesting well i guess you know i kind of go back to the the satanic commandments and if you really kind of read those they're they're a pretty uh convenient and unfuckable with way to live your life i find them to kind of hold up and be you know truthful be useful and practical in my daily life as a way to treat people ethically and with fairness but also not to get fucked over by people in this you know fucking shitty world that we live in so you know i think that outside of like the deity of satan there is a lot of good philosophy in the works of satanists like levey and other other people who have you know kind of written about the left-hand path I should say, in terms of people who believe that Satan is a deity and worship him as, you know, a physical evil being, I also find interest in that. I think that's pretty interesting as well. And if you are into that, I don't, you know, I'll fault you. I'm not going to say that's wrong. But yeah, it's I, I find both avenues of Satanism interesting. So I'll just leave it at that. Tim, I caught wind of these so-called sex-positive weekends. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and why it's important? Well, you know, it's important for everybody to have sex positivity. So, you know, kind of feel good about yourself. But that's an old uh, Steve DeRose thing. I don't know 
often the good old Steve DeRose gets brought up on uh, Massacre Radio. But, you know, he is a old cinema wasteland uh, character. He's also known as uh, the creepy, stinky guy sometimes because of <laughs> obvious reasons. But he uh, is like just this crazy dude who would like go to Japan and bring back the craziest Japanese porn that you've ever seen in like garbage bags and then have a like typed out list stapled together on pieces of paper that you'd have to look at at Cinema Wasteland and like see the titles. And yeah, so he was importing a lot of uh, really bizarre, really extreme Japanese stuff. He liked to have sex positive weekends. And I always would have to wonder myself, like, who his partners were. But I guess somebody, you know, there's somebody for everybody. Well, you know, Sam, there's an old saying, there's a lid for every pot. And I'm pretty sure that applies here. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) You know, in the past on this show, we've talked about reptilian humanoids, extraterrestrial beings, you know, stuff like that. But just in general, what are some of the more popular or unpopular conspiracy theories that you actually believe in? Well, I'm going to call back to you asked me a question about the tour. And I was actually kind of crazy stories about the tour. And this is the craziest story, but I was waiting for this question. I thought you might bring something up like this. But while we were driving back from Denver... We're going through the mountains, and we were kind of talking about all the weird anomalies. We passed Aurora on the road, and me and the driver were talking about, you know, Sandy Hook and, you know, Aurora Massacre and the Batman links and, um, you know, Columbine and all this stuff and the Denver airport and all this stuff that revolves around this area. So we're talking about that. I'm watching the moon, and the moon is kind of over to my left-hand side in the sky, and it's a giant, sanguine, blood-red crescent moon. And I note to the driver, I'm like, hey, man, look at the moon. He's like, wow, that's crazy. We go over a hill, and then all of a sudden, the moon is high in the sky. It's not on my left-hand side, and it starts to disappear behind this giant wall of fog. And within the snap of a finger, we are enveloped in a thick fog in the mountains of Colorado that came out of nowhere. Um... You couldn't see five feet in front of the van. You're just driving blind. It was the most white-knuckled, fucked-up thing we've ever fucking done. Like, if you, if anything had come out, if any car stopped in front of us or any obstruction, you're just fucking blasting that thing at 60, 70 miles an hour. So we're pretty much driving blind for about 45 minutes to an hour. Driver looks at me. He, he's like, dude, is this purgatory? Are we dead? And I was thinking to myself, like, fuck, did we crash the van? Like, are we dead? I, I, I was kind of getting, like, freaked out and, like, touching myself. Like, dude, this is really weird. This is fucking weird. Everyone else in the van is passed out, too. It's just me and the fucking driver. So we get, like, I don't even know how much time goes by because it's just we're so fucking white-knuckled. Finally, as soon, as quick as the fucking fog hit, it disappears, dissipates, and it's, like, a fucking clear-ass starry night. But the moon look up at the moon, it wasn't a fucking crescent moon at all. The moon now is a fucking half moon. And we both, me and the driver, look at each other and are like, dude, what the fuck? I'm so fucking glad you are here and you saw this shit too. And this shit didn't just happen. We both, like, I don't know, dude, it felt like we went through some time portal or some a fucking time slip or something fucking weird, man. That was, like, honestly the craziest shit. We were both pretty fucking freaked out by that. And I don't necessarily find it, like, that coincidental. 
that literally right before this fucking shit happened, we were fucking talking about this shit. Oh, and by the way, the driver also uh, said that when we were in uh, Seattle, he was staying in the van and he was having these really lucid, vivid dreams that like alien beings are coming in and out of the van and like talking to him and stuff. I think it's kind of exciting, to be honest. It's interesting. All right, Tim, the moment we've all been waiting for. Everybody's been asking me to ask you this, so I'm just going to come out with it. What are your three favorite sitcoms of all time, and maybe one you might think is entirely overrated? Sitcoms. Well, going to go with Roseanne, for one. I was kind of grew up on um, Roseanne and, uh, you know, always enjoyed, like, felt like that was the show back in the day, kind of white trash family show, and, like, the, the, the kids... I related to always like the Halloween episodes and like how yeah the comic book stuff with David and Darlene that was like you know I was reading Sandman in the nineties and all that Neil Gaiman stuff and just you know so that's one of them. I also like the sitcom Freaks and Geeks just because of the connection to Michigan. The dude who uh, wrote it or created it was actually from Mount Clemens and kind of grew up and there's a lot of uh, Rick kind of by where I did. So there's a lot of like humor and just inside jokes on that show. You know what show I always fucking liked? I always liked the show Different Strokes. I don't fucking know why, (laughs) but anytime fucking Different Strokes is on, I'll watch that shit. It's just a good fucking show. I don't know. It has that like every episode is always fire. There's always some like great 80s lesson to learn you know child molesters you know don't fucking drug episodes just crazy shit so yeah different strokes great theme song too tim we'll get you out of here on this i know you're into horror movies and i don't know if you've seen but the price of some of these older horror vhs are just skyrocketing and have been for some time now what are your thoughts on vhs collectors and just new vhs releases in general i guess the interesting thing about a lot of that stuff is that you know, I guess manufacturer shelf life on magnetic tape was approximately 30 years. So a lot of those tapes are kind of going to be hit or miss now, whether they're, you know, going to be mold filled or, you know, rotted out. So you're, you're kind of playing a bit of a gamble, I feel like, when you're collecting analog tapes. With that said, if you got the money to fucking do it and it's rare shit, and I know being a collector for years and before this shit was popular and people were looking for it, how rare some of this stuff is. So I don't, it doesn't upset me that like if somebody's got the money to drop, you know, a couple grand on a, a OG Tales from the Quad Dead Zone or OG, you know, fucking lunch meat or something. Go for it because those tapes are fucking rare as fuck at this point, you know, and they're artifacts. You're probably never going to find that shit in the wild anymore. But this, the shit that sucks and which I don't understand right now is the like, hey, it's, it's you know, a, a sealed copy of Ghostbusters or something, $5,000. That shit I'm imagining is kind of all like chill bids and fake shit on eBay. But I do see more and more of just common movies, people, you know, selling them for crazy amounts. But I don't know if that's real. You, you, you might have to, you know, tell me if you think that's real or not, like just some of that shit. But yeah, if it's truly rare, truly fucking rare, shot on video stuff, tapes that were manufactured in the hundreds, fucking drop that fucking grand on well, it. Fuck it, dude. You know, 
Tim, I'm with you on the whole VHS thing. I mean, why would anybody want a sealed copy of Raiders of the Lost Ark or The Land Before Time, especially with it being sealed, and you mentioned mold and that kind of stuff, the shelf life... It's not going to last, so who's to say it's not going to be molded or destroyed on the inside entirely? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. And are you even going to watch it? Do you care? I mean, especially in like five, ten years, as technology increases, even at a more rapid rate, and we're in more of a metaverse and more of the digital universe, like, are you going to fucking care about this tape that, like, you probably won't even be able to play? It's harder and harder to find VHS players. That's the other thing, too, is players are getting harder to find not so, only that but they're hard to find with the remote so it's one thing to have a functioning vcr but it's another entirely true. different thing to get one with a remote because <laughs> that does matter you know for sure but yeah i don't know the whole like as far as the new vhs and people you know releasing a lot of stuff on vhs that also doesn't really appeal to me in a way like I understand the collectability to it, but it, it, to be honest with you, just I would I'd rather just watch the fucking movie on like a DVD or Blu-ray at this point. The only shit I really watch on VHS is stuff that is unavailable on those formats because one, I don't want to ruin my tapes, so I don't play them a lot. I watch it streaming or digitally, and you know, I don't know new shit, and especially shit that's just like you could also just buy on Blu-ray or DVD or watch streaming. Like, oh, here's some custom Halloween with some fucking artwork by some dude. Fifty copies, like I don't know, whatever. To each their own, but yeah, I don't get it. I, I, you know, I've always been more about the movie. I've always told people I have a lot of fucking movies because I like to watch movies. And when video stores went out of business, you could buy them all for a dollar. So I take fucking a hundred bucks and I go and I buy a hundred fucking horror movies and I'd watch them all. And like, I wouldn't do that if like tapes were the fucking prices they were now. No way. Like, fuck that. Tim, if people want to connect with you online, how can they go about doing so? Uh, well, you might find me on Instagram. That's my only social media. My account is Dogs of Gore, or you can probably just search Acid Witch or Shitfucker. Find me that way. Or uh, my email is D as in dog, and then beat, B-E-A-T, destroyer, like the Kiss album, at yahoo.com. And that's about it. What's on the horizon with Acid Witch? What are you guys working on? Anything lately? Well, with Acid Witch, we're working on a new EP for Halloween. Going to try to have an accompanying video for that, actually, that me and Dave are working on right now. And then probably working on another full length and kind of in talks for some other tours right now, but we'll see. Nothing concrete. And then with Shitfucker, hope to do another record someday. Uh, Dick, Demon Bitch a.k.a. Richard Spider, moved to uh, Philadelphia back in 2020. So that kind of put Shitfucker on hiatus for a little bit. But still homies, still, you know, see him every once in a while. been talking about some new Shitfucker ideas. So Shitfucker's a band that, like, if we're going to do it, it's really got to fucking kind of push the envelope and be extra fucking filthy. I don't really see the point in, like, doing something that's kind of, like, half filthy or like half offensive, it's got to be kind of pretty what the fuck kind of idea. You know, I see Shitfucker kind of as uh, my uh, expressive band in the way that like, you know, maybe guinea pig movies are or something. It's, you know, more extreme fucking 
than maybe Acid Witch in that element. You know, it's more gore and more sex and more violence. So we got a couple ideas, but we'll see. We'll see. Tim has been my guest, also known as Shagrat from the band Acid Witch. Tim, thank you so much for your time today. Sure. Thanks a lot, David. This is Massacre Radio. In the beginning, there was VHS and Beta, then DVD, and now, in the 21st century, thanks to the advent of modern technology, we have streaming. With thousands of titles all at your fingertips, sometimes it's hard to find something even halfway decent to watch, but it doesn't have to be. Introducing SubGenius.tv, the only streaming service you need with hundreds of hand-picked titles at your convenience. Titles like The Pink Ladies, Corruption, and Night Terror. You'll never run out of interesting cinema to consume at home ever again. SubGenius.tv has it all, and then some. Besides, who has the space to store physical media anyway? Streaming is the future, and SubGenius.tv is here to pave the way. Don't be a coward. Sign up today with plans starting at $5.83 per month. SubGenius.tv. Don't make us tell you again. Cigarettes. The more you smoke, the better you feel. And now, as promised, my next guest is the production designer for Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix, and he also works with Troma. He kind of does a little bit of everything. His name is Doug Sackman. Doug, how's everything going today? Thanks so much for your time. You're good. How you doing? Everything's fine. I had a long weekend, and it's just like that one Doobie Brothers song. You know, I'm taking it minute by minute over here. Just hold not. Yeah, yeah, I hear it, man. Doug, I had no idea that Unsolved Mysteries is still a show that is being produced, let alone that you are the production designer for it. Talk a little bit about the project in general and what it's like putting it together for Netflix. I know you're working on season four right now, which is crazy. Yeah, well, I've been um, with them since they started up for Netflix. It's the third incantation of it. The same creators, Cosgrove Meyer Productions. And um, we've been, since 2019, actually we're filming our fourth season right now. There's no hosts this time because no one can really replace Robert Stack. But it's told more in like kind of the newer true crime scenario where, you know, it's the actual victim's families and the police and the people who were involved with the case, you know, talking about it in first person. You know, it's more of a documentary series mixed with, you know, the true feel of Unsolved Mysteries, essentially, you know. Now, you just mentioned you were a big fan of the original Unsolved Mysteries, much like I was back in the day. What was one of the older stories from that show that really stood out to you? For instance, my example would be the spontaneous human combustion story. That really freaked me out when I was nine. But what say you? Honestly, that was one of them, I think. You know, I, I didn't know much about anything like that. And I heard about it, and I started reading up on it. Some of the stuff, you know, we're working on the fourth season right now, and some of these stories, I can't really give away exactly what we're doing, but they are kind of going back to some of these stories that were in the original series, and, okay, this is where this is at now. It's still unsolved, you know? Not human combustion, but there are some, some things that are, you know, probably have that were in the second incantation. I didn't see too much of that because that was kind of my formula of years at trauma i was dealing with more indie filmmaking than watching stuff <laughs> now you mentioned that you worked with trauma how does the overall workflow and structure differ from working with an independent studio like trauma as compared to a series like unsolved mysteries on a platform like netflix i guess the best way is this we shot a movie called hashtag shakespeare shitstorm with the <laughs> trauma team in 2018 and it was kind of you know it was written and produced and put together over 
two or three years. Um, and it deals with a lot of stuff that is, you know, was starting to happen when the movie came out and even more so, you know, they kind of get more and more topical, but it was, you know, when we started, it was me who, you know, at that point had been with Trump for 20 something years and, and, you know, two other producers, and we've kind of had gone out and experienced all other types of production, but then we come back to Chono because it's like, this is where we, we came up. So we're kind of the senior executives there. And then a lot of the crew that comes in are first time Chono fans that just, you know, saw something on Facebook, traveled from around the world to come squat in a house with us. <laughs> you mentioned horror comedies in general, Doug. Why do you think horror and comedy work so well together? I think those horror and comedy are two of the biggest genres and if you mix them together you know you have one of i guess one of the bigger genres and it's just marketable it's you know you know people are, are looking for that kind of stuff and then even stuff like trauma and full moon and you know all of these these smaller companies i mean trauma thrives on the independent filmmakers who they inspired helping them to release their movies and get them out there so it's it's more of a spirit and the heart of it and you know getting your movie made with uh, some of these bigger productions, you have to have that stuff in there. You're just not making a movie, you know? Producer, director Doug Sackman is my guest. That's Sackman with two N's. And Doug, I'm looking at your website here, and it says you worked with Amy Poehler and Strangers with Candy. That's pretty wild, and I'm sure you learned a lot from that experience. What was that whole thing like? Well, that was kind of before promo, or actually at the same time. I mean, I started in New York in the late 90s. You know, the second I turned 18, I, I started trying to do acting stuff myself and got out there. I actually tried doing it earlier. So I was doing some mainstream acting stuff as, you know, I was finding out what trauma really was, you know, and that kind of changed my life a lot. But before I worked with trauma and got really into the indie film scene, I was on uh, HBO's Oz as a prisoner. And then I was on Strangers with Candy. And that actually came from, I was working with Amy Poehler in the Upright Sin Brigade. I took classes in there at an improv school. I mean, I still kind of do. It's more in California now, but it's, uh, you know, they have the show, the uh, Upright Sin Brigade. While that was kind of becoming a thing, they were running this theater in New York. And, and you know, I got involved with them to the point where I actually ended up on the show a few times and uh, was also starting with trauma. And it, it <laughs> It's a weird thing because I have a lot of friends from that that have gone on to NBC shows and, and actually, you know, you would know who they were if you saw them. My final class for the Upright Sin Brigade, instead of being there or my final performance for my first level, I uh, was on the set of the fourth Toxic Avenger movie and I kind of just bailed on them to start working with Troma. And 25 years later, I'm still working with Troma. <laughs> I'm also seeing on your website that you directed numerous music videos Talk a little about some of the bands you've worked with and what sort of things you've learned in your time directing music videos as compared to, you know, a TV show or a movie. I've done a lot of music videos, you know, because we've had, you know, had a production company for 18 years called Vaccine Conceptions with a group of younger directors and producers. We had done this movie called Punk Rock Holocaust on the Vans Warp Tour, actually coming out of trauma. And it was all this kind of transitional from doing acting stuff, mainstream acting stuff to going to trauma. And then from Troma, working on the Warp Tour, from that, obviously working with a lot more bands. And even when I was with Troma, we did a music video for Newfound Glory that I produced, uh, Head on Collision. And I'm actually Kabuki Man in that video with the Toxic Avenger. We <laughs> shot that on Universal Backlot uh, on the old John Wayne sets during the band's Warp Tour in 2002. We actually kind of broke off the tour and did a, you know that music video. And then, you know, Punk Rock Holocaust is a live concert movie quasi-documentary mixed with a horror comedy. So it's actually all the, the real people from the tour, the band, the staff, the guy who created the tour acting. 
uh, somewhat badly, you know, because from show right. background, those people are actors. It's literally just throwing them the script. So here's the guys from from Rancid or uh, Pennywise. It's like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna kill you. How do you want to die? And they're all super into it. So a lot of these deaths, they helped kind of engineer and put together, and it just kind of went over so well. Even more so for just being on the tour, giving the band something to do outside of their routine. That's really why they wanted us there to begin with. We did Punk Rock All Against 2 in 2004 and 2005. And then we came back for the last Warp Tours in 2011, 2012, and shot Punk Rock Holocaust 3 with Angelo Moore from Fishbone as one of the stars. Uh, that movie is still not finished yet. No. <laughs> it's pretty much done, but we haven't put it out or finished it because I got sucked into things like Unsolved Mysteries and, and you know, bigger features and things. that. So it's, it's kind of my passion project on the side that will eventually come out. The Warp Tour is no longer. So these movies are kind of like a time capsule to that uh that era you know now speaking of the warp tour the word on the street is that it might be making a comeback sometime have you heard any similar rumblings in your neck of the woods i, I know kevin lyman who's the head of the tour will not never let it die so if anything it'll come back with you know in just as I, but I think the warp tour is quit at 20 years old i think he might come back for 25 years and do like because they did do something like I think in 2014 or 15 they did like a two day they did I think they did one in LA and one in Vegas it's like Warp Tour Summer to Remember or something right. like that you know kind of like a retrospective of the tour I don't think they'll ever do a full national tour again because you know everyone's getting older and they got kids and this kind of stuff but they'll probably do like the the one you know, like a lot of type thing here's a three day Warp Tour festival or something like that you know. Does a movie need full frontal female nudity to be entertaining, even in the least? Doug, your thoughts. Um, and so I guess a little bit of a loaded question. Yes or no? I mean, it really depends. Back in the day, I mean, and for troll movies, I would say, you know, it is part of the formula that we do need to have some nudity in there. And, you know, obviously, you know, the more attractive nudity for most horror goers is, is female nudity. But then there's also, you know, female fans and and you know, gay horror fan and that kind of stuff. So there has become, I mean, trauma's always been an equal right. For every naked woman in a trauma movie, there'll be a naked man. You'll see full frontal male nudity. Yeah. It might not be the attractive full frontal male nudity, but it's there to kind of have the, the balance. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of times it's more for a, a joke or a shock value or something like that. But, I mean, more and more, I mean, I've watched so many horror movies, newer horror movies, a lot, you know, mainly A24 horror movies and this kind of stuff. But, you know, Nothing, none of them has nudity anymore. There's no nudity in a lot of these, you know, more mainstream horror movies because they're like, oh, we got the horror. We have some celebrities in there. We don't need to, like, put nudity in there so people will see it. And it's also different because pornography is so readily available. So a lot of times when nudity is in there, they'll get a negative mark on their review. It's like, oh, they just threw some nudity in there so they had it, you know? Yeah, you know, I guess anymore these days, it kind of seems like it's old hat or kind of like a, a hack bit, you know? Unless it's like, you know, done for a reason and it makes sense within the movie or, you know, or in a fun way. I mean, a lot of times when you see nudity in a movie, it's done in a very winking way. It's like, we know what we're doing. We know why this is here. And it's here for you guys, you know, to add a little little something to it. You know, back in the day, it was obviously, you know, I'm not to say I'm not a fan of it, but, you know, a lot of gratuitous nudity for no reason other than just to have, have put it in there. And there's definitely a lot less of that now. It's not just there for the sake of having it, you know? Other than working on the latest season of Unsolved Mysteries, what else do you have in the hopper? What else are you working on? 
Um, we are actually working on the Blu-ray release of Shake Hashtag. That's in the title. It's very important. Lloyd Kaufman, president of Troma Entertainment, creator of the Toxic Avenger, and director of Romeo and Juliet, which yes. is written and produced by James Gunn of, you know, everything fame, Marvel mm-hmm. and DC. Yeah, that was his first movie. So this is kind of a spiritual sequel to that. So we're working on that, you know, really pushing that out there. But then we are working on a sequel to one of Lloyd Kaufman's original superhero classic, Sergeant Kabuki Man, NYPD, um, which is, you know, kind of the Donald Duck to Troma's Mickey Mouse, which is uh, the Toxic Avenger, Troma's favorite hideously deformed creature of superhuman size and strength. So they have, you know, these super human heroes who are their flagship characters, and we are bringing back Kabuki Man for his proper sequel because the Toxic Avenger, in the meantime, has a remake, Hollywood big budget remake coming out. So this is kind of every 10 years, Trauma is kind of on the line of both of these things. Peter Dinklage is starring as a Toxic Avenger. I had no idea. You had me at Peter Dinklage as Toxie, but you throw in Kevin Bacon into the mix. You have a recipe for a killer cocktail. That sounds like it's going to be awesome. It's real. It's done. Uh, I haven't seen it. Boyd is in it, and he's seen it. He, he has his full blessing. Some of the trauma team has seen seen it in, in previous screenings, but it's Peter Dinklage as a Toxic Avenger. Uh, Kevin Bacon and Elijah Wood are the villains in the movie. Dude. And it's produced by Legendary Pictures, who did, you know, Godzilla versus Kong. They're, they're responsible for the, the Godzilla remake and rebirth kind of thing, Pacific Rim. And now the Toxic Avenger is going to be their new property, or is. It's just they filmed it before the pandemic, or, you know, as the pandemic was starting, they got it done. It was in post production through the pandemic. And because of that stuff, I think, um, you know, just the scheduling is really what they're trying to figure out right now when it's going to come out. But I would say it's probably going to come out before the end of the year. No, that's going to be great. I'll have to keep my eye out for that. Uh, Doug, if people want to find you online and connect, how can they do so? I know we discussed DougSackman.com with two ends, but where else can they find you? Pretty much it's all, I, you know, I was lucky enough to have uh, get, get my name for everything. So on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you know, the website is all Doug Sackman, at Doug Sackman and DougSackman.com, D-O-U-G-S-A-K-M-A-N-N. Doug, you sound like a very busy man, but I would love to speak with you again sometime on Massacre Radio. So let's do that. What do you say? Yeah, yeah, I'm, uh, I am totally with it. And I, I love uh, Massacre Radio. I'm glad you guys are doing that, the podcast now. And uh, you know, Lewis has put out some incredible works. You know, he's, he's supporting the very subversive filmmakers. <laughs> the, you know, they're the ones that are further on the, the fringes of society. So we, we definitely appreciate that. Doug Sackman has been my guest. Thank you so much for your time today. Awesome. You too. Thanks so much. Massacre Radio. And just like that, Massacre Radio Episode 6 is in the books. Even without the help of Chet Hanks, we still got it done. But before we get out of here, I did want to thank both of my guests, Tim or Shagrat from the band Acid Witch, as well as Doug Sackman, who you just heard from. Stay tuned next week for Episode 7. Who knows? They keep getting better and better, and you just never know who's going to pop up on Massacre Radio. I'm Members Only Dave, staying Keep It Between the Lines. I'll talk at you next week.